We come into the world and we are given the most powerful tool, but we aren't handed a user manual for it. I am talking about our mind. This is Emily from EssentiallyM.com and I am obsessed with mindset, manifestation, and spiritual alignment. I study NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is the deep understanding of the subconscious mind and how we can actually program and use it to create health, success, and happiness in our lives because our thoughts are truly our most powerful tool. If you are ready to create a life that you are absolutely in love with and live in a reality that is better than your dreams, then stick with me and consider this your weekly dose of free coaching. Welcome to the Miracle Mindset. Hey, it's me. I just wanted to let you know that if you are into personal development like I am, then you might be interested in the morning and evening ritual journals I created to help myself walk through a morning routine and an evening review or ritual. This, of course, is a habit of the world's most successful people, but I always found it so, so overwhelming. They start and end their day with things like journaling, affirmations, intention setting, clarity, evaluations and check-in, self-care actions of course like moving their body or stretching or taking deep breaths or meditating and it was just so overwhelming. I didn't know where to start, which ones to do, which ones not to do and felt like I didn't have time to do it all. So this all led to the creation of my morning and evening ritual journals, which I am proud to announce are now available on Amazon. All you have to do is search the morning ritual journal by Emily Ann Brandt or the evening ritual journal by Emily Ann Brandt. And I hope you'll get both. You'll get free shipping if you do. And I know these will change the game for you like they did for me. So with that, let's get back to our show. You guys, welcome back to the Miracle Mindset. It is just me and you today. It has been a couple weeks since we've had a solo jam episode where it's just you and I hanging out and talking one-on-one. The last two episodes were interviews, which was super exciting and fun. And I'm definitely going to incorporate more of those going forward. In fact, I have another one lined up for next month and I'm going to be putting out some feelers to get some other guests on the show because you guys seem to really like it. I really liked it. It was a lot of fun but I also still, I know you guys love the solo episodes. A few of you have been asking me, you're not going to stop your solo episodes are you? No I'm not. We will still chat one-on-one from time to time but it's nice to mix it up a little. This week I wanted to talk about something that has just been on my heart well, for a very long time, but especially this time of year, as I am approaching the time for my annual checkup with my cardiologist. And the reason that this is kind of like a heavy emotional time of year is because last year I went through a health scare, or actually, was it last year? Oh my gosh, yeah, 2018, still only 2019. So last year I went through a crazy health scare. And in this episode, I wanted to talk about something that I haven't really seen very many people talking about or heard rather very many people speak about, but it's so real and it's such a thing, but people don't talk about it. And that is the loneliness of a health scare. The loneliness that you feel when you are going through a health scare 
or a upsetting diagnosis or any sort of health challenge, as much as people say, I'm here for you and as you could have the best support system in the world and still feel this loneliness. And it's a very odd thing and it sounds almost ungrateful to talk about it and to say, I feel lonely when meanwhile all, all your loved ones are like gathered around you and people are pouring support over you and you're going to say you feel lonely and that's probably why people don't talk about it, but it really is so real. So I thought I could offer up what I've learned from my perspective of going through a health scare for it was like six months of not knowing what was going on. So I'll tell you my story in just a sec. But also I thought I could offer up some perspectives for both sides because I have been the one in the health scare and I have been the one with friend or family going through something like this and not being and not knowing what to say. So I thought I could offer up my personal experience and my personal opinion on what might be helpful, how you can help the person. If you guys know someone going through a health scare or if you're going through one, I have some words for you as well. And I thought we could look at it from both sides. And again, this is just my experience, my perspective. Somebody else going through this might be saying, no, that's absolutely not true. That's not how I feel. I actually feel like this. And I'd love to hear your comments and your feedbacks and to hear you guys weigh in on this. So make sure you're in my Facebook group on Essentially M's Inner Circle on Facebook. Obviously, it's a closed Facebook group where we can talk about the podcast episode and everyone in there is just high vibe, trying to um, better themselves. They're hungry for personal development. It's primarily women and it's a very supportive community. So make sure you hop on to that group. So just search Essentially M Inner Circle. I will link it in the show notes. If you don't know what show notes are, because I literally did not know even when I had started my podcast, I was still like, where are the show notes? I don't understand what show notes means. It just means, as I recently learned, the caption inside of the episode. So like if you're on Spotify or iTunes, just kind of hold or click on the episode and then swipe up and it should be the little description below. Some people I think do have separate show notes on their actual website. I'm not going to do that but I like to link little things in the description. So that's where my show notes are in case you are a spaz like me and didn't know that. Okay, so back to what we were talking about. This is the time of year that I get all emotional, I guess because it's been one year since my official checkup after the results of my heart tests. Okay, that's super confusing if you have no perspective. So I first need to tell you the story of a health scare that I went through in 2018. I'm pretty sure it was 2018. It might have been the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018. But anyway, what happened is I, for most of my adult life, have had like heart palpitations and just like pains in my chest. And nothing's ever like obviously it's never turned into a heart attack or anything major but finally I thought well I'm gonna bring this up to the doctor because this can't be normal and I also have something called Beale syndrome and Beale syndrome is a really rare connective tissue disorder you can hear all about my story and all about the Beals on the episode entitled my story and my why but anyway occasionally with Beals there can be heart complications as it's closely related to Marfan syndrome 
and Marfan syndrome even more often they have complications with their hearts. So doctors and people don't know a ton about Beale syndrome so they're always constantly learning more and more and now that I have a nephew who's been diagnosed with Beale's and he's seeing a doctor who seems to know a lot more about it than they did when I was little. He is now telling my sister and my mom and was telling my family, like, yeah, if you have Beale syndrome, you should be getting your heart checked every two years because people with Beals can have heart complications. So my family lets me know this and I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe that's why my heart has been palpitating. Maybe I have the complications. So I'm the one who has the Beale syndrome the worst of anyone in my family. I have the most extreme severe symptoms. I got all the spin-off complications, the clubbed feet, the scoliosis. So I thought, why wouldn't I have the heart complication? Probably. Or, you know, at the very least I thought, well, they said to get it checked every two years. I've literally never had it checked, so I better go. Or I had it once in high school, but that was it. So I asked the doctor to send me to a cardiologist or to get some sort of testing done or check up whatever I needed to get done. And the doctor kind of like rolled her eyes at me basically and was like, you're being, um, you know, you're being overly cautious. Like everyone gets palpitations. Nobody has a perfect rhythm in their heart. But if you really feel you need to, I'll send you for a consultation. And I was like, yes, please. Because you have to advocate for yourself. And really, I dealt with these symptoms and let other doctors brushed me off already for years but it was getting to the point where I was having chest pains regularly like I'd lean forward or I'd laugh or something and then there'd be like a stabbing pain in my chest and so I'm like yes I really want to see someone plus I'm supposed to have one every two years and I haven't had one in years so she was like okay so she sent me to a cardiologist and I was I had the echo done and then the other thing where they stick things on your body ECG I think it's called and then I just had to I finished all that and I was chatting with the technician and she's like oh your veins are small you have skinny veins that's a good sign that means your heart's healthy ha 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 and everything was going fine and then I just had to wait and then she kind of stopped talking and I just thought she got tired of talking and then we finished up the echo and then I just had to wait in the waiting room until I could see the doctor for my consultation and then I was free to go so after that, after chatting with the technician and her telling me like my veins are skinny and everything seemed to be going well, I'm just texting my friends and family, mostly out of boredom, honestly, because I had time to kill in the waiting room. And I'm like, hey, it looks like my heart's all good. I got skinny veins, apparently. Ha ha ha. Just waiting to see the doctor and then I'm free to go. And then I was going to head back to work. And then I get called in to see the doctor. And then I wait a while for him to come in and I'm getting hungry at this point because it's me and I'm always hungry. <laughs> so I'm just like anxious to get going and go get breakfast and then go to work. And the doctor took forever to come in. And then when he came in, he had this like serious, solemn look on his face. And he's like, okay, so the good news is, um, oh no, what did he say first? I don't even remember. I don't even remember he's oh yes he said the good news is I'm not worried about your palpitations or your irregular heartbeats or anything like that the chest pain I don't quite understand yet so we may have to do a little bit more digging but I do want to show you something because they found something on your echo they actually spotted a mass on your heart and I was like cool 
because he had it he had the image up on his cell phone and he was showing me the echo video from his cell phone and i was just like i guess i was in shock because i said cool and he, the doctor was like um i'm glad you think it's cool because it's either that or you're fainting <laughs> so yeah i just reacted really weirdly and i was like cool let me see the mask like where is it what is it and I'm just kind of like, of course there's a mat. Like, of course there's something weird that you found. Like, it's me. My body has all the complications, always boggling doctors. And not that I was expect, I was expecting it to be healthy. Um, but yeah, anyway, I guess I was in shock. He said they found a mass and started to kind of show me and explain to me that it was perplexing because if I were to have a complication because of the Beale syndrome, it would have been on the other side of my heart, like on the left valve or the right valve, and mine was on the opposite valve. So they didn't think it was related to the Beals. They weren't sure if it was the cause of the chest pains or the palpitations. They were not sure what it was. So basically, to make a long story shorter, um, they didn't know what it was. It was definitely, he didn't think, because of the Beals. So that is was kind of frightening because that means it could be a tumor or something. That's the first place everybody's mind goes when you see a mass or a lump. So I'm assuming that's where his mind was, too. He didn't want to say. He said he had some guesses of what it could be, but he didn't want me Googling it, and he didn't want me freaking out. Um, he said there was a lot of tests to be done. We were gonna, I was going to have to go see specialists in Toronto, and go through MRIs and um, like a, t a better close-up echo where they put a camera down your throat with a tube. And that really like just freaked me out and grossed me out. And I was like, no. And he just kept saying over and over and over like, let's just count it as a blessing that you happened to come in today for this checkup and be proactive and book this checkup and that we happen to find it now while you're still young and while it's still early, whatever it is, if it's something. And let's just take it as a blessing that you came in today. And that freaked me out when he kept saying that. And I felt he kept, he was sort of treating me like a cancer patient. He gave me his personal um, phone number so that my parents could call and directly talk to him, um, like his extension, him or his receptionist, and he would personally call them back and answer any questions that they have, although he didn't have much answers at the time. And... He was very, very thorough, took his time with me. And again, because I was in shock and reacting so weirdly, I was just thinking, stop, okay, stop talking, buddy. You're saying the same thing over and over. I'm starving. I got to get back to work. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Whereas a normal reaction would have been to just like cry and take your time and let him be thorough with you. But I was thinking, okay, I heard you. Like, there's nothing else to say today. Let me go. I'm hungry. <laughs> but then... Once I got out to my car and out of that office, I had to text my family back because I had just texted them, everything's good, I have skinny veins, I just got to see the doctor and then I can go. Well, of course, I saw the doctor and he had just told me there's a mass on my heart and we don't know what it is. And thank God I came in and I'm young and all this stuff. So as soon as I started typing that out to my sisters, I started sobbing. I'm like, I spoke too soon. There's a mass on my heart. And I just started sobbing and it just hit me. And <clears throat> I managed to call, I think I talked to my sister on the phone, my now fiance. 
I and then I, I was crying talking to them and then I managed to call my dad and my mom without crying and be strong for them which is kind of something I've been doing since I was little because I've had to go through so many surgeries and hospital visits and tests and things I've always I've kind of learned to be strong for them and they're always strong for me too and it's this weird thing that I don't know it's this weird thing so <laughs> I didn't want them to hear me crying and being all upset and they were at work, so I didn't want to upset them even more, but anyway, I had to call everybody, processing, and then I had to go back to work, which was so silly. I should have just went home, but I had to go to work. Of course, I didn't really get much done. I just kind of sat there staring at my computer screen, trying not to cry, and many days that followed ended up being like that, just staring or being at work, Everything else seems to move forward and go on around you and you feel stuck and frozen. It's really weird, but nobody talks about it. So I want to talk about it. Okay. So months are now, days and weeks are going by. Um, Well, no, let's rewind for a sec. The next day, I think I took the day off to just process because I knew like, I'm not going to get anything done at work. I'm just constantly trying not to cry. I need a day to just gather myself, cry process this, figure out what the heck just happened. And so I took a day off. I went for a walk. I decided to go for a walk and go buy myself a chocolate bar. (laughs) That's like my go-to comfort thing. And so I left the house and I walk all the way over to Bulk Barn, which is not that far, but I get all the way to Bulk Barn. And then I realized I didn't even bring my purse. (laughs) I didn't bring my wallet. I had nothing to pay with. So I couldn't even get my chocolate. And I just walked all the way back home and cried again. And I thought, okay, I am not normal right now. Like I'm in shock and I'm not thinking straight. And so I actually decided to share on my Facebook page what was happening because I thought if, okay, if I type it out, maybe it'll sink in. Maybe it'll get off my mind a little bit more and I'll get some prayer requests going and people can send me positive vibes for good results on my tests and yeah, I was just reaching out in hopes that I would get some sort of, I don't know, clarity, relief, support, even though I had tons from my my family. Um, It was just this weird thing where I was like, yeah, maybe if I post it, it'll be more real and I can stop being in shock. I just wanted to stop being in shock because obviously it was affecting how I was functioning because I wasn't functioning properly. Doing silly things like leaving my wallet at home and forgetting my keys and not being able to work. So that was one of the things I did. And of course, immediately I start getting this like huge flood of comments and messages and support and prayers. And it was great. And I just want to say that this is very common when people go through something like this and they first post about it or they first announce it to people, we can all tend to flood in with comments and support and prayers and things. But keep in mind, after that like one day or two days goes by, the person is still going through that thing and now they don't have an outpouring of support coming in. Like I mean, I still had my friends and my family and obviously my fiancé, But it was as if everyone was moving forward and I was stuck frozen in this nightmare. 
And I know that sounds dramatic because people go through much worse things. And we didn't even know for sure if this was a thing. Um, but it was like I would hear my coworkers or people talking about such mundane things like, you know, what color they're going to paint their kitchen or what pillows they should buy or what shoes they should buy. And I'd hear people having these conversations and I'd be like, in my mind, I'd be like, really? You're worried about which throw pillows to buy? And I'm over here worried how many months I might have left to live. Like, it's just this weird, dark zone that you're in and you feel like you're by yourself, but everyone else is moving on. And I just wanted to shine some light on that because I know that's not like... It's not nice to say, it's not maybe polite to say that out loud, but that's how I felt so many days. I could barely make it home from work. Um, I could barely wait to get home from work so that I could just close the door behind me and cry. And, you know, I could barely hold it together at work, at my desk. And it just feels like once people say something to you once and then they move on and you're kind of left in this mess trying to figure out how to navigate it. So I wanted to acknowledge that I did find out who my really amazing friends and family members are because they consistently showed up for me. I had one friend texting me every single day asking when my next test was, if I got a date for the next test yet, um, if I knew anything more yet, when I would know more. And she literally texted me almost every day asking for updates and just her asking for updates really really meant the world to me because it's like oh my gosh she's just as worried as I am she really cares and she's not forgetting about it and it's I'm on her mind and that means a lot and my other friend as well she would even text me and ask me if she if I wanted her to come up and come to my appointments with me and it was like a two-hour drive three-hour drive and she's like seriously I will come if you want me there with you my sister's offered um, my family did come with me to quite a few of the appointments. Some of them were really nasty, like the camera going down my throat. And But it was months of testing and waiting for the next MRI date and waiting for this and waiting for that. And it was about six months of testing and not knowing what the heck is going on. And that's the worst part is the waiting um, until I got my results. And like I said, some of those days in the not knowing and the having to go to yucky tests and things, it just felt super lonely because as much as people are there for you and your family is literally physically with you, um, I had my parents with me, I had my fiance with me for some of the tests and some of the things. It's like as much as everyone says we're here for you and we're in this together, you're still the only one that has to go and get a tube shoved down your throat. You're still the only one has to, has to lay down in that MRI and get put through a tube by yourself. You're still the only one who potentially has to have open heart surgery. You're still the only one who would have to go under the anesthetic and do all of that. So it's like, it sounds awful to say that because I wouldn't want it to be anybody else. Like I would trade places with any of my family members and closest friends in a heartbeat if I could, if the roles were reversed. I would always want it to be me. But it's just like as much as everyone says, yeah, we're here for you. We're all in this together. Don't worry. It's still lonely in the sense that you are the only one actually going through all this crappy, disgusting, scary, horrible stuff. So I guess that's why there is support groups for cancer patients or even family members of cancer patients because as much as people support you, 
if they aren't actually going through exactly what you're going through, you feel, frankly, very, very alone. And it's just not talked about. And I also, I, so I do want to acknowledge and give some advice for those of you who are going, well, no, I haven't, I'm not going through exactly what my friend is going through, you know, with her health care or with her diagnosis, whatever it is. Um, so how can you show up for them? My perspective, my advice would be to just keep, like my friends were, like just keep checking in as often as you can, even if you only have time to send a quick text every couple days. And that will mean the world to them just to keep checking in and not just to say it once or twice. And the other thing is please just let them acknowledge that it sucks. This is a big one. When people would say to me not to worry, don't worry, I know everything's going to be fine. Just try not to worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Take your mind off it. I would just get so mad. Even my mom one time said that to me. She's like, just, we're just going away for the weekend and we're trying to forget about it. You should do the same. And I was like, I can't. I don't have that ability to just forget about it. It's my body. It's my heart. Every time I get a stabbing pain in my chest, I wonder if it's the mass or if it's cancer or if I'm dying or not. Like, I can't just forget about it. I'm reminded every few whatever, every half hour when I get a chest pain or when I get a palpitation or when it crosses my mind, which is all the time. And so for someone to tell you not to worry, and I'm not blaming my mom, like I know she was just trying to help. And whenever you say that to someone, you were just trying to help. But saying don't worry is just kind of, for me personally, I did not, that did not help me. It kind of just made me mad because it's like, don't invalidate the fact that I am worried and I should be worried and I'm allowed to be worried. I'm allowed to cry. I'm allowed to say this sucks. Yeah, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be this negative person forever, like crying all the time. But I think just acknowledging to the person who's going through something like, yeah, this sucks. This is scary. And I'm right here with you is so much more effective than don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Or trying to put a positive spin on it right away. (coughs) So. There was a few blessings and lessons that came out of all this. I went through about six months, like I said, of the testing and not knowing what was going on, feeling scared every single day, stressed out. Everything went on hold. My business went on hold. Um, My health routine went on hold. Even my personal trainer was like, I don't think we should work together until we know what's going on with your heart. So I stopped my workouts. Like It was like literally everything froze because of this news and possible diagnosis. And then it was finally time for the results day. They had all of the results back from the MRI, from the scope, like from the, um, sorry, I keep calling it a scope, from the 3D thing with the camera down my throat and from all the tests together, all the extra echoes, everything. And so my family, my, my parents and my fiance and my oldest sister came with me to get the results because I was like, do you guys want to be there? I'd really like you there. Like whether it's good news or bad news, I want to celebrate with you if it's good news and I want to cry with you if it's bad news and they were like yes of course so they all came with me and thank God and I know this is because of everybody's prayers and um, the grace of God it was benign they concluded they still don't know exactly what it is they think it might just be some weird fatty tissue like weird part of my anatomy and but they definitely think it's benign and they don't need to remove it. They will just 
checkup on me. I was to do a heart monitor a few months later, and then another checkup in a few months, and then from there, hopefully annually. So as soon as I heard the word benign, I just was like in shock again and trying not to cry and (laughs) didn't hear anything else my doctor said. So thank goodness my family was with me because they took all the notes and they actually listened to what he said about the heart monitor and what to do when I have the heart monitor on and I was supposed to push myself and do my workouts and do all the things while I was wearing the monitor. I did not gather any of that. I was just sitting there going, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. This is so good because I literally was having nightmares all night before this results day that he told me, we don't know what it is exactly, but we're going to take it out just to be safe. I kept having that dream over and over and over. And so that was my biggest fear was that they were not going to have a conclusion still but they were going to have to operate. And I did not want another operation. That was just, I've been through enough surgeries in my life. And that was the last thing that I wanted to hear. So I was so relieved when he said, all we would have to do is monitor it. And then again, I held it together until we left the office. And then I cried in the bathroom. I cried when we went out for breakfast several times, but it was a beautiful experience to feel that relief and the love and support of my family. And from this whole experience, it's taught me a lot of things, but one of the things I took away from it is kind of how I can help people when they're going through something like this or how to deal with people when they're going, when they've been diagnosed with something or they've been giving bad news or they're having a tough time in their health. And not too long ago this year, my very best friend found out that she has Huntington's disease and Huntington's disease is passed down genetically so she just found out that she has the gene meaning she will have it and the reason she wanted to know is because she's approaching um, age 30 she's the same age as me we're 27 and the symptoms of Huntington's disease can start as early as age 30 And if you don't know what it is, like it's an awful, awful disease. And it's basically a combination of Parkinson's, ALS, and I think it's Alzheimer's. And what happens is your brain cells essentially fail or die. And so it causes all kinds of terrible symptoms and quality of life just goes down um, from the time that that the symptoms come on. And so... She's already watching her father go through this. This is the reason why she got tested. And she wanted to know if she would have it because that obviously affects your life plans and what you you wanna do. So she got tested and was obviously freaking out, completely nervous all the way building up to it. And it came back positive that she has the gene and she is going to have Huntington's disease. And so when she told me, she told me through text and I said, uh, do you want to talk on the phone? I can go outside. I was at work. I can go out on my break and we can talk. And so we talked on the, she called me and she was sobbing and I just cried with her. I was absolutely heartbroken for her. And normally I'm the type, I am the friend that people go to for like motivation and I can put a, I can reframe anything. I can, um, find something positive out of anything negative. I can tell you, what the lesson probably is. I can tell you what good is going to come of it. I can motivate you. And that's kind of what I usually do. But because of my own experience going through the heart thing and 
knowing how much that kind of talk would not have helped me in that moment, <clears throat> I think that really helped me to be there for her in the way that served her better. And so I just let her cry and I cried with her. And she kept saying, I know I, I know I got to be more positive. I know I got to just make a plan and focus on this and this and this. And I said, girl, you literally just got the news. Nobody's expecting you to be positive right now, okay? Nobody's expecting you to make a plan this weekend. Like take the whole weekend off, cry, be sad, be mad, be anything you want to be. Nobody's expecting you to be Miss Positivity right now, and that is totally valid. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to cry. This is devastating. This effing sucks. This is unfair. I hate this. And I just went there with her because I knew that, A, I genuinely was just as ups like, you know, genuinely upset. And this is awful. <laughs> this is my best friend in the whole world. And we've always talked about growing old together. And your life expectancy after the symptoms start is like 15 to 20 years. So she was saying, like, I always wanted to be old and gray, and now I'm going to die when I'm 65. And that just hit me like, oh, right in the gut. And I'm trying not to cry now talking about it again. But that was our thing is we were supposed to grow old and gray together and be like the crazy old ladies that are off their rockers. <laughs> And so I'm, I'm just as upset as her at this point, and we're just crying together on the phone. And I think that's the best way that I could have been there for her, even though it's not necessarily productive. It's not what I usually do, coaching and putting a positive spin and reframing, but that wasn't the time and place for that. It was the time and place to acknowledge that her feelings were valid, and I felt for her, and I genuinely was in it with her. And... I think that it's because of what I went through with my health care that I, that I knew kind of how to respond to that. But again, everybody reacts in different ways. Everybody prefers different things. Some people prefer not to talk about it. Some people are like, don't bring it up. Don't mention it. I don't want to cry. But for most of us, I think it hurts more when people are afraid to talk about the hard stuff and ask us about it. It hurts more because it feels like they don't care. Even if we deep down, we know they do. Just don't avoid the hard stuff because it makes it harder on the person going through it. Now, before I wrap this up, I just want to speak for the person who might be going through, if you're going through a health scare or a terrible health situation, diagnosis, whatever it is, I also want to speak to you and remind you that something I had to remind myself of and something I've realized now that I'm outside of the situation is that people are busy and they have their own drama, they have their own upsetting things, they have their own anxiety, they have their own down days, they have their own stressful moments, they have things going on, they have other people in their lives who need them, they might be sick themselves, um, they might have kids, they might become, they might have recently become caretakers for their parents, they might be grieving the loss of someone. Sometimes people are grieving the loss of people for ever. I mean, just like I'm talking about this health scare, this upsetting news not going away right away. Grief is also something that doesn't go away right away. Depression, right? So I'm just reminding you that everybody has their things. Everybody has stuff they're going through and stuff going on. So if you don't hear from someone um, as often as you might have expected to, just keep in mind that it's probably more because they're busy and they're wrapped up with stuff 
and not that they don't care about you or anything like that. But I will say you do learn who your real true friends are because they will make time to at least text you and make sure to somewhat regularly at least check in with you and let you know you do find out who your friends are. It's crazy. I actually got like ghosted by a couple people and um, friends who I would have thought cared more. They barely asked me about it. They barely talked to me. Um, or they didn't say anything about it at all and so that was hurtful but you really do learn a lot about the people around you who are really there for you and who not so much and you just keep going and you dig deep and you find your own strength as well but I don't want to sound ungrateful because I have such an amazing support system I hope this episode makes sense and it doesn't sound terrible because For me, I am someone who's blessed with an amazing support system, so I don't want this to come off as I was so lonely and unsupported (laughs) during my health scare, but I do want to talk about, and that's why I hesitated to talk about, and that's probably why most people don't talk about it, um, the realness that you do feel lonely and you are the only one going through those things and life seems to move on. Other people move on after the initial, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that, and then they move on. And then you feel like you're still stuck in that processing. You're still trying to deal. Every single day is a challenge and a battle. And the loneliness is just so real. So I think there should be more conversations like this. I think there should be more support groups for different diagnoses or even just anyone going through something in general. Maybe there could be like a general support group. I don't know. But I really have felt that on my heart lately. I've been feeling called to talk about that. And like I said, this is the time of year where it's really on my heart because my checkup is coming up. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going for an echo. And then the week after that, I go for my consultation. And this will be my first one-year checkup from the time last year where they told me, okay, officially, everything looks good. You can come back in a year and we'll go from there. And then hopefully you can come back every two years or maybe even every four years. Maybe that's getting a little ambitious, but... So this is the first kind of annual checkup. I'm nervous. I'm excited. There's always a lot of emotion attached when I drive up to this cardiology center because I spent so much time in there stressing and worrying and crying and sad tears, happy tears, scared tears. So even just going to this place uh, is emotionally heavy for me. But So that's kind of why this has been on my mind, and I will keep you guys posted with how the follow-up appointment goes. I'm sure everything's going to be good. I'm expecting everything to be good, and um, this recording this episode was a good reminder for me to keep on checking in on my friend regularly and keep checking in on my um, anyone else who's going through something like this, and hopefully for you listening as well. Again, If you want to weigh in, make sure you get inside my Facebook group, Essentially M's Inner Circle. Search it and and request to join. I'll put the link in the notes for this episode. Um, I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. I know this episode was a heavier one. It's not our usual kind of mindset coaching type episode, but I just felt really called to share that, and I hope you appreciate it, and I hope you appreciate that I shared a lot of personal stuff this week. Um, That's just me just being real and vulnerable with you guys because as much as I can pump you up and I can talk about mindset and manifestation and give you all the tips to create your best life, we're not going to really have a real connection or any real trust 
um, or a relationship if I'm never vulnerable with you and if I don't share real things, real lessons, real stories from my own life. So I hope you appreciate that. I appreciate you for being here and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved today's episode, please leave me a review on iTunes or screenshot this episode and share it on your social media and tag me at essentially M, essentially E-M-M to let me know your thoughts or send it to a friend who needs to hear this message today and keep the love going. Connect with me on Instagram if we aren't friends on there yet at essentially M.
Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you on the next episode.